All over America, churches are declining, some are dying. And maybe the question is, is there life after death for churches that once flourished? Ken Crawford is the senior minister of Central Christian Church in Dallas. He'll be here to tell us about a new experiment in church life in a church like that. Stay tuned for Good God. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm delighted to welcome to the program today my colleague and friend, Ken Crawford. Ken, glad to have you with us. Thank you, George. I appreciate the opportunity. Ken is the senior minister of the Central Christian Church here in Dallas and has been since the fall of 2016. Uh, this, this church has a real robust history in Indeed. Dallas, doesn't it? it? Does. Tell us something yeah. about the history and what you found <laughs> sure. when you became the pastor of this church. Uh, so by some historical records, there's a bit of competition for this in Dallas, but uh, it has claimed to being one of, if not the oldest Protestant church in Dallas, uh, started in the 1870s. Wow. Uh, in the West End on the second floor of a blacksmith shop. Wow. Think about what that must have been like yes. uh, to do that. And they moved several times, ended up uh, in a central location in downtown, uh -huh. uh, and then in the 40s uh, moved north to the outskirts, what was then the edge of town. Mm -hmm. A uh, hundred years ago, it was the largest church in Dallas. There were over 2,000 people active wow. in the life of the congregation. Uh, and. <clears throat> they moved to their current location in the 50s, built two buildings, uh, 34,000 square feet on three levels wow. on uh, six acres. Uh, and uh, over the years, the congregation uh, has ebbed and flowed and through a, a series of um, convergences of, of some social dynamics as well as some things in the life of that particular congregation. Uh, it's now not a very large congregation in terms of membership. Uh, and still has that amazing facility and that fantastic resource. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I showed up, I uh, started interviewing with them in the summer of 2016, I was struck by the possibility, both because of the campus itself and its situation. There are six distinct uh, communities around that uh, particular location. You've got mm -hmm. the Park Cities and you've got Uptown, you've got Oaklawn, uh, you've got the medical district, you've got the Love Field area, and you've got North Park. Wow. Six very, very different they really are. communities. And so, uh, you know, I was struck by wondering what would it look like to create a space where people from those different areas wanted to come together. Right. Um, I said, you know, what does our country need? Mm -hmm. What does the world need? And one of the things that our country and our culture need is places to come together and find commonality. Uh, and to find that uh, there is more that joins us together than that separates us and that the things that uh, join us together matter deeply and that we can build bridges across difference. Okay, let's, let's pause there before <coughs> sure. we get into where that took you. Sure. Because I think it's important probably for us to recognize that there are about various statistics, uh, say different numbers, but there are about a hundred churches in America closing every week right. who have gone through a life cycle mm -hmm. that has uh, you know, been tremendously vibrant, mm 
right. and that has led to decline. Some of these churches are new church starts that never really got off the ground, mm -hmm. but many of them are like yours. Sure. So what you found was a church on that downside of the uh, bell curve, you might say, or on right. the, the arc, I the did. life cycle. Yeah. And you, you like to call this a legacy church. Sure. Talk about what uh, a legacy church is in your mind and what factors contribute to it bearing that, that title. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when I use that term, what I'm thinking of is by and large, uh, what some folks call big steeple churches. Yes. So these are churches that have at one time had both big steeples yes. uh, and a prominent place in civic life yes. in their community. Churches used to be at the center of civic life, whether it was in an urban setting like Dallas or in rural communities. Mm -hmm. um, and that has changed over time. We can talk about that particular dynamic. Um, but what's true for these legacy churches is that as their neighborhoods have changed, as their membership has changed, uh, their membership has declined, uh, even though the population has grown. Uh, and so they have very large buildings, mm -hmm. uh, some of which need a lot of repair and upkeep. Ours is actually in really great shape. Mm -hmm. um, but they've got these buildings that are absurdly large mm -hmm. for the number of folks mm -hmm. that are part of the worshiping and studying and serving congregation itself. Right. And so that begs a whole series of questions about what does it mean for us to be stewards of what God has given us, mm -hmm. regardless of why the building was built and why it is where it is and why we've changed, we are where we are now. Mm -hmm. So how does this group of people take what God has handed to us today and say, okay, what does God want us to do? What does God want to do together with us? Okay, to, but to now you're, you're trying to get people <coughs> on to a question about the future. <laughs> and, uh, and that's a hard thing for a church <clears throat> that has once been really vital, right? Sure. And you have a dwindling congregation, mm -hmm. and the, it seems that this story is being told over and over again yeah. The, the first impulse, I think, uh, for many of these congregations is to say, who do we blame about the decline of the church, right? Sure. And if only we could get a young pastor with a family to attract young adults, exactly. or if only we could change the music to be more appealing in our worship to right. the younger generation, or if only, if only, if only, right? Sure. So you go through that whole thing, and that's even in your congregation that is becoming more innovative about its space, mm -hmm. uh, you still have some of that going on, don't you? Some, some of that sort of longing for the way it was and the struggle with how things are today. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. And, and I, I, I grew up in the church. I'm the sixth generation in my family uh -huh. to have gone to seminary. Uh, and I love traditional church. Right. When I was in high school, I used to go to the early service with all the old people and sing the old hymns. Uh -huh. So I, I love that. Right. <clears throat> and I understand why people feel continued, continually draw, excuse me, drawn to that. Uh, and I recognize that um, you know, none of us are going to be here at some point. And right. we have a responsibility not only to have a church that meets our spiritual needs, yes. But that is to the end that we can leave a church for the next generation that serves generations that we will never meet. Yes. Uh, and that kind of 
that's that's ultimately what I would hope the legacy in Legacy Church is. Yes. Is not that we have a great history, mm-hmm. but that we position ourselves and live today in such a way that our ministry has a legacy into the future. Good. Um, that is not just about what we did way back when. Right. But is about how we offered up ourselves and all that God has entrusted to us and did that in such a way that it became life-giving for the next generations. Whatever that is, whatever they're going to need, which we don't even know yet. Right, right. I was, I was just reading about a church in Arlington, Virginia, a Presbyterian church that was 80 years old and had declined mm-hmm. and was in a similar position with this uh, tremendous building. In their case, they decided to sell the property altogether. Sure but only after canvassing the community to find out what was needed and they sold it to a developer who specifically uh, built affordable housing for low income, for seniors, and for disabled persons. And then they rented the ground floor to continue to have a church that met the needs of their (laughs) residents, you know. Uh, And they actually bought a park next door Mm -hmm. uh, so that they could, or property to turn into a park. Uh, to have some green space in that community. And, and, and what the current pastor said about that mm-hmm. is the church decided not to try to save itself. Sure. Which was really an amazing statement. Uh, and, and she was talking about how using communion language, which of mm-hmm. course is strong in your tradition, right. uh, yeah. uh, talked about how uh, in a sense they thought about taking the building of the church mm-hmm. and uh, giving it breaking it yeah. and pouring it out you know, for, uh, for the community in, in a new way. And it occurs to me that this is a, a language that is so familiar to Christians, but it's hard for us to get to interpret that for ourselves in that way, isn't it? It is, yeah. it is. Uh, what are the yeah. obstacles you see to people being able to do so? Um, I think that if we attach too much of our own spiritual life and Uh growth to specific people and places, personalities, Mm. that becomes problematic. Yes. Um, Because then if that thing goes away, then that raises all kinds of questions about our spiritual journey and maybe even about our salvation, depending on how we think theologically about those things. Right. Uh, And so the the church ought to be the means of grace that draws us into community and closer to God at the same time, so that even if the building ceases to exist uh, because of a natural disaster or some other thing, Mm -hmm. uh, or if the congregation ceases to exist as as we have known it, Mm -hmm. because it's just run its life cycle, yes. that our faith and our spirituality and the work that we've done continues on. Right. Uh, right. And so I, I think that sense of uh, inappropriate attachment, right. um, which comes along with it, you know, a, a sense of a lack of spiritual maturity. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Paul talks about how we're still on milk when we ought to be on solid food. Uh, right. And I think there's an element of that. Uh, I think that congregations often get disconnected from their communities. Yes. Uh, You know, we are, I mentioned these six distinct neighborhoods. The Park Cities is one of those. And so, you know, for those who aren't Dallas folks, that's think Hyde Park in Chicago or Beverly Hills in L.A. It's that kind of a place. Right. And we've got four acres. The land is worth over a million dollars an acre. 
Uh, and the last thing, we think that the last thing that God wants in that place is eight or ten more mansions. Right. That what God wants in that place uh, is a campus where people can flourish and thrive. And so what we have done is opened up our space to people who are seeking healing and wholeness. Uh, and I, I think self-interest and self-focus is another one of those obstacles. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I'm focused on me and mine and us and ours, mm -hmm. as opposed to recognizing that regardless of the fact that we pay the utilities and we paid to build the building, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not ours. Right. It's God's. Right. And we are just stewards of it. All those stories in the Bible, of course. Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, and in other faith traditions as well, right. that say everything we have is, is entrusted to us. Right. And if we forget that, yes. then uh, it's nearly impossible for us to be faithful stewards of today and what God wants of us tomorrow. We are having this conversation during the season of Lent in the Christmas, in the Christian year, and we'll be moving into the season of Easter here before long and when probably we'll broadcast this. Uh, this, this movement from a, the season of death and darkness mm. to life and light uh, is part of what we're talking about here, isn't sure. it? It's, uh, it's not just what happened to Jesus, but what can happen to Jesus' people. Uh, to his, his church, mm -hmm. uh, if they will accept this idea that you can't really have resurrection life if you're not willing to die. Right. Uh, and sometimes that means dying to self and dying to the familiar, dying to the things that we have held on to as being absolutely necessary for our life. And what you're challenging your church to consider is that it may be that as Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, yeah. uh, it cannot flourish. But That's if right. it does, it will bear much more fruit. Right. And so we want to talk in a moment after the break about that much more fruit that you see beginning to sprout forth okay. and see whether you know, people start getting excited about the possibilities of this new missional idea sure. that you're exploring uh, with your congregation. So let's yeah. pick that up right after the break. Sounds great. Okay. The Good God Program is a project of Faith Commons, a nonprofit organization that I founded in 2018 to promote the common good. Think of a commons on a campus and how you can bring all your faith and people from all corners of the campus together. Think of the city that way. Think of the country that way. Faith Commons aims to bring people together to promote greater understanding and peace throughout our communities. You can find more information about it at faithcommons.org. We're back with Ken Crawford pastor of uh, Central Christian Church here in Dallas. And we were talking, Ken, about the fact that your congregation is no longer a church that fits the culture of what we used to call an attractional model. Mm -hmm. That is, w in the days when you put up a church and you open the doors on Sunday and people come because that's the nature of the culture and the community. That's right. And so we'll provide programming for you. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is show up, right? right. And people sure. did show up. They sure. showed up in the thousands, mm -hmm. right? For a season, 
some of that having to do with the period of time in the country's life, mm -hmm. in the region's life, and the, yeah. the spiritual mentality of a post-war generation mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. Some of it just having to do with the particular neighborhood and place where the church is located. Right. Sure. And as those things change, things, things have changed. Now, you are exploring how your church can be more missional, not just overseas, but to your own neighbors and your right. own community. Yeah. And you've come up with several really great ideas of how that can be uh, possible. So how are you <coughs> using the building now and the, the church's uh, outreach to accomplish that? Sure, sure. The congregation actually took its first big steps into this several decades ago. Uh, we had a community theater uh, at ah, the church. Okay. The, the theater that was at North Park Center, the director of that was a member of our church, and he had a community theater okay. at the church, and so that was an opportunity to do something that wasn't explicitly religious. They did secular pieces, mm -hmm. um, but that drew people to the campus right. to be able to build relationship and to yeah. express creativity as God has given us the ability to do that. Nice. Uh, then 15 years ago, the church took an unused part of the property uh, and put in a dog park. Amazing. Uh, and that's uh, been ranked by some in the area as the best dog park in Dallas. Wow. And, you know, we have hundreds of people every week that come there and build their own sense of community. Uh. And anybody who has dogs knows that they become a meeting place uh, and a, a, a source of connection for people from very diverse backgrounds yes. who all love dogs. And so they don't have to talk politics or religion or they just they just care for each other and enjoy each other's company. Mm -hmm. And that then over time becomes the opportunity to build relationships and get into those deeper kinds mm -hmm. of things that matter more. Mm -hmm. um, what we have done more recently, and th some of this goes back to work I've done in other parts of the community, um, Ken Yonke and Matt Smith and uh, Justin Nigren started The Grove, which was a co-working space in the mm -hmm. West End. Uh, and they did that with pastors' hearts but explicitly did not do it in a church building because they recognized that so many people, for very good reasons often, want nothing to do with church, want nothing to do with Christians even, because right. we've been bad actors in a lot of cases. We've done some very hurtful things. And they wanted to be able to bless people and help people to experience transformation without having that as a stumbling block. Yes. Uh, and so myself and Darren Dezengutita and some other folks learned to do that there, uh, then we went to White Rock United Methodist Church, uh, and mm -hmm. Darren led that effort. So I've been at Central for three and a half years now, um, and we came in not necessarily saying we're going to do a co-working space, uh, which people that don't know what that is, it's, yes, it's explain a, what right. co-working is. So yeah. co-working is essentially people coming together to share common space and common resources as they do their work, as they pursue their occupations. Uh, vocational and evocational, uh, and hopefully build community as well. So, so many jobs these days are just done online. They don't have an office to go to. Right. And instead of sitting in <clears throat> your bedroom or at your kitchen table alone. Or at a local coffee shop where it's noisy and all those exactly. kinds of things. You can come to a quiet space and you can have some community with other people who sure. are doing the same things. Sure. Have access to high-speed yep. internet and all those sorts of things. And, and there are big international brands of co-working spaces. Yes. And then there are kind of small mom-and-pop local sorts right. of things. So. It, it was less the specific approach than it was this mindset to come in and say, how can we make use of underutilized space in a church building? And 
You could do it in any community facility. Right. Underutilized space so that we can uh, provide an opportunity for folks to come together uh, and pursue things that will help them to flourish and thrive. And you've had people who you've met in that setting who have never thought that they would be having spiritual conversations. Absolutely. And, and it te can you give us an example of that? Sure, sure. So um, one of the most recent ones, and part of this is that we have, as part of our co-working, co added a wellness center. Mm -hmm. So we have yoga and all kinds of other wellness practices and practitioners. Uh, and one of the women who's come and been a part of that, uh, she and I had some fairly surface conversations. Uh, I later found out that she went to somebody she's known for decades and asked very deep spiritual conversations about faith, about Christianity, and about Jesus in particular. And she had never asked those, and she specifically said it was because of the initial conversation wow. she and I had and, and because we had created a safe space for her to begin to open up some things that yes. had she'd been kind of avoiding or kept buried because they had been so painful for so long for her. Right. Um, and on the kind of flip side of that, you know, I've had conversations with folks who have been active leaders in their faith community for decades, people mm -hmm. in their 60s and 70s, a number of them who have said to me, I, I understand for the first time what it means to be a follower of Jesus wow. and what it means to be church. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd never understood the way that church is supposed to exist for the sake of the world. Oh. Uh, we talk about Jesus coming for the sake of the world. We miss the fact that the church is the continuation of the incarnation and therefore the church exists for the sake of the world as well. You mean it doesn't just exist for the sake of the church? It does not, <laughs> it does not. We, we lose track of that sometimes, we do. don't we, in, in the yeah. way we go and about so, it. And yeah. so, you know, from the theater to the dog park to the wellness space, uh, we have 12-step recovery programs, which ha has been common in churches from the beginning. Sure. As we think about providing a space for people to come and experience healing mm -hmm. through the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. The 12 Steps is designed to be um, God-focused but agnostic yes. in the sense of not dictating any specific God. And, and we don't ask for people's spiritual credentials when they come in the door. Right. We simply say, you want to pursue wholeness and wellness and healing, and we want that for you as well, so here's a place to do that. Right. And so in our co-working and in our wellness programs, uh, even out in the dog park, uh, in our program that we host for adults with disabilities. All of these things are opportunities for people to move towards wholeness and healing. And then we get to show up, and initially it's just providing good Christian hospitality. Mm -hmm. You know, what I, I tell people when I'm teaching about evangelism, I say the number one first step in evangelism is don't be a jerk. <laughs> like that's, and that's so hard for us. It's so easy for us to fall into Kind of these. I have something to tell you them. that you really don't know. Sure. And I'm going to offer this or, to you. Or, and yes. let's let's make a list of the things that you need to do to get right with God. Right. Instead of saying, "Gosh, you've been on this journey of life for 50 years. Yes. Tell me what that's been like for you." Yes. You know, listening um, and asking yeah, questions. Yeah. Yes. And um, you know, we we found that people were coming onto our campus, and and were very. Um, some of them were experiencing trauma just being on a church campus. Right. 
because they'd been so hurt in the past. Yeah. Uh, and then when we were able to simply say, you're going to be okay. Yeah. This is a safe place. Yeah. Come do the work that you've come here to do. And then let's get lunch together or okay. let's sit down and have a right. cup of coffee and be able to have rich conversations. And, you know, I, I want everybody to learn to be a follower of Jesus. Sure. I want that for them. Right. Um, but ultimately, that's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. My responsibility is to live my faith mm-hmm. uh, and to be able to have respectful conversations with people regardless of their faith tradition or Good. background. Good. Um, I'm going to learn some things about God and about myself in the process. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're going to learn some things along the way as well. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, and you know, through that, some measure of those, some number of those are going to go, oh, wow, this, this Jesus way, yeah, I want, I want that in my life right. as well. And a lot of folks, you know, as I just mentioned, who thought of themselves as followers of Jesus and were, it's not mm-hmm. that they weren't really followers of Jesus, but are able to go to a deeper level right. um, because of this shift of mindset to recognize that that we are here to pass on the faith, not just to hold the faith and enjoy it for ourselves. So that shift of mindset is, has to happen for the church, but it also had to happen for you. It did. And so I'm interested, I think others would be as well, especially if there are some who are in a position like yours as, mm. as a pastor. Um, what has this change been like for you? How has it affected your sense, your self-understanding as a pastor, as a minister? Uh, because I think many times, you know, people like you and me, we go into this work and mm. our measures of success are still the tall steeple, legacy right. church, sure. being thriving and all of that. And here, here you're having to come to grips with a different metric of what it means to be a successful pastor. Sure, sure. Uh, very, very difficult yes. is how it's been. Yes. Um, my, I, I did my doctoral work at SMU at Perkins, and um, after a couple of other iterations, my thesis ended up being uh, called Transforming Vocations. And it, it was basically a study of people who entered into the idea of ministry with the expectation of pursuing that traditional 20th century path, right. which in so many cases has evaporated. Mm-hmm. One of my friends and colleagues I just found out last week uh, has taken a full-time job with Amazon because wow. he could not find a church within reasonable commuting distance where he could support his family and do right. life-giving work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, that's more and more mm-hmm. becoming the case. Uh, and, and so I've had to process that for myself. I've had great mentors and colleagues. I count you as one of those who Thank have been you. able to help me think through some of that. Uh, and to recognize that, yes, there will still be, and thank God for it, large, strong, vibrant, healthy churches like Wilshire and so many others in the community. Um, And the days of large churches being the norm Mm -hmm. uh, and most people finding their spiritual nurture uh, in big gatherings and sanctuaries on Sunday morning, those days are drawing to a close. Yes. Uh, and so we have to be active with the Holy Spirit to help uh, 
people imagine and resource them to create for themselves, it's presumptuous of us to say, here, let me build your next faith expression, but to partner with people as they try to figure out for themselves yeah. what that looks like and what they need. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, Ken, that it's, you say that there are still going to be vibrant large congregations and that sort of thing, ours being maybe one of them right now, but you know, we're smaller than we used to be as sure. well. And I think we're all trying to help each other figure out where we are in the life cycle of our, our churches right. and, uh, and, and not just do the same thing we used to do, but figure out uh, what's, what's the next way God is calling us to be church. Right. And I think the, the witness you have for churches like ours mm -hmm. uh, there at, at Central is one that we need to pay attention to also. How can we exercise hospitality in mm -hmm. our building uh, for our neighbors, continue to turn outward and not inward, yeah. make sure that we have a sense that our, um, our, our, our mission is not just to ourselves. Uh, so it, it, it feels to me like um, there, there may be uh, a, a, an apparent distance or difference between mm. churches like yours and mine, but I think we're actually all on the same continuum here, and we're working to find our way. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. Anyway, well, thank you for sharing your journey with us. I hope it'll be encouraging to a lot of churches and maybe actually give courage to a lot of churches to think afresh about the stewardship of their facilities, their building, their assets, the, the legacy of their church, and, and look to their neighbors as uh, a place where God may be at work in it. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Glad yeah. to have you on Good God. Great, thanks okay. so much. You bet. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White, social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God. Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2020 by Faith Commons.